So uh, as you know, we're, we're finishing up on this great book called Love and Law. And uh, one of the things that I think was most powerful about it is it, some of Ernest Holmes' early thoughts on really how to use this creative mind to make a difference in our own personal lives, to, to change our lives around, to make a difference, a physical difference in our health, in our, in our wealth, in our relationships, in whatever. And, and it's interesting, then, that at the very end, where you would think it would be a song of praise and conclusion, instead, Ernest Holmes says, oh, but there's this one thing, see? <laughs> and we're going to talk about that today. And the one thing is selfishness, of all things. But I have a joke about selfishness. All right. A married couple in their early 60s was out celebrating their 35th wedding anniversary in a quiet, romantic little restaurant. Suddenly, a tiny and beautiful fairy appeared on their table and said, for being such an exemplary married couple and for being so loving and faithful to each other for all this time, I will grant you each a wish. Oh, I want to travel around the world with my darling husband, said the wife. The fairy moved her magic wand. And poof, two tickets for a luxury cruise appeared on the table. Now it was the husband's turn. He thought for a moment, and then thought for another moment, and finally he said, well, this is a little awkward, and it might be considered a little selfish, but an opportunity like this only occurs once in a lifetime. I'm sorry, dear, but my wish is to have a wife 30 years younger than me. The, fair, the wife and the fairy were stunned. But a wish is a wish, so the fairy made a circle with her magic wand, and poof, the husband became 102. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You knew I had to redeem this joke somehow. <laughs> All right. So we're talking about selfishness today. <laughs> of all things, Ernest Holmes ended his book with a chapter on selfishness. And I thought to myself, now this is interesting because in religious science, aren't we taught that it is perfectly fine for us to pray for, attract to us, and to keep everything that would be comfortable for us and beautiful and loving. And I mean, we're actually taught specifically to use the power of our own minds to turn our lives around. And, that, and that's what the first you know, nine-tenths of the book is. So why this idea of selfishness at the end? And what do you think he meant by selfishness? Well, I looked it up in the dictionary, and it has two meanings. The first is lacking consideration for others. And of course, anyone that knows anything about Ernest Holmes would say, well, that wasn't it, because he was a very giving and loving guy. But the second one, I think, maybe does fit in with here. The second definition of selfishness is concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. And if you think about it, this is the oh yeah, this is the one more thing. This is the oh wait a minute part of science of mind. Because if indeed we focus on the outward nature, if indeed we focus on the things, right? If we focus on the best job, if we focus on the unlimited abundance, if we focus on getting the perfect relationship, what are we focusing on? It's the externals, right? And I got to tell you, as much as the externals can be comfortable, <laughs> externals change, right? 
The new house is only new for a few years. The new car, you, act, you forget that one time and park it too close to the front of the Safeway store and you come out and it has that first ding in it and it isn't new anymore. Everything, everything that we can pray for that's on the outside, even things like a, a physical healing, it's like this is great and this is wonderful and it's going to change. We're going to get older. Other things will crop up. Other needs will be here to be met. And so the question is, really, I think, are we satisfied? Are we bringing happiness, true and lasting happiness to our lives? Or are we simply praying for stuff? The other reason I think that selfishness is here, this idea of it, and this idea of really being clear about what you want in the world is that... uh, a part of what we teach here. In fact, it was part of Gino's lovely song, and that is that we are differentiated, that each of us has our own unique and wonderful song to sing. And you know what? Sometimes this uniqueness, sometimes this specialness gets us in trouble. Now, I think we all want to be unique. I think we all want to be special. We certainly want to feel that the universe is here to support us in a special way, that we have a special relationship to God. And yet, how do most people identify themselves? How do most people identify themselves as being special? They'll do it through their appearance, through their situation, through their abilities, or through their disabilities. They'll do it through their characteristics. In short, once again, they're doing it on what is on the outside. And again, you know, our wealth may change, our looks may change, you know, the things that are on the outside, even if those are tools that we use to self-identify with, they are going to change. And where does that leave us? Uh, oddly enough, this is something that's part of actual childhood and, and human development. If you look in, a, you know, well, I'm going to say you look into a book, but anyone who has raised a child can, can, can tell you that they go through phases, right? And, and I still remember a little girl that I used to take, uh, take care of. Uh, one day she had come to my house, her, her mom dropped her off, and, and Jean said, oh, I apologize for the princess dress. And here, she was like in this full ball gown. She had just, she'd just been to Disney World, right? And, the, and of course, they went to the Disney store and they had to buy two or three of the princess outfits and it was like their second day back. And so here she is in a princess outfit and Jean said, you know, I'm really sorry but this is all she'll wear for now. We're gonna, it's it's going to take a few days before the princess effect wears off. And so it was like, oh, well, no, that's fine. We'll have fun. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll have that as part of our play today. That'll be fun. So, you know, you go off, um, enjoy your day off, and we'll have some fun together. Well, it was a horrible day outside, raining, and she wanted to go outside and play. Now, what had always worked before, because she was only like two and a half, What always worked before was, I would say, well now, would your mother let you do that? And she would always say, oh, no, mother probably wouldn't let me stand on the table or, you know, or whatever it was, right? (laughs) But apparently she picked up two things in Disneyland. One was the princess dresses and the other thing was she learned how to lie. (laughs) And she said, oh yeah, mom would let me go out in the rain in my princess dress. And you know what? This is actually good. I mean, not the fact that, you know, she learned how to lie, 
But we all learn to self-identify ourselves. There comes a point when each of us, through experimentation, through our own inner calling, learns how to be our own self. And so, actually, it's good, even, even though it's uncomfortable, when children begin exploring the ideas of right and wrong and telling the truth or not, when they start hanging out and doing questionable things, this is all part of them becoming themselves. And for the most part, we just need to make sure that they don't get into too much trouble or into too much danger. But you know, on all of these child development charts, you know, they usually lead us up, gasp through the teenage years, where that whole idea of self, uh, you know, self uh, uh, awareness and, and self differentiation sort of reaches its head with the, the passing of the car keys and like, where's my son tonight kind of thing. Those charts never get us beyond like 20 years old. It's as though our evolution ends when we become, you know, 20 or so. And what I'm thinking, what I want to suggest, is that maybe we should continue this chart a little bit, and instead of it being more differentiation, instead of it being more separateness, instead of us claiming more and more individuality, as though only I represent I, and only I can do for I, I'm thinking maybe we want that pendulum to move the other way a little bit. I'm thinking that certainly in our nature of a relationship with God, we don't want to be separate. We don't want to be differentiated out among even our own relationship with people. So where does this process switch a little bit? I think, uh, first of all, I think we can switch it whenever we want to switch it. But, you know, we in the Northwest have this idea of being mavericks, of being the people that can stand on their own two feet and do everything ourselves, and, you know, maybe our own close-knit family, and that's it, and, you know, we don't need help from anybody, and, and, and unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, but I think in this case, unfortunately, these books tell us, yeah, we totally can do it by ourselves. We totally, through the power of our own prayer, can ultimately dis you know, disassociate ourselves from humanity and pray ourselves into an abundance and, you know, and live our entire life all by ourselves and have everything we want. Oh my gosh, though. I think this is his old point of the warning when we become so wrapped up in the self that we're really forgetting our gift to give the world. Because it isn't just about stuff. It isn't just about us being different and special. It's about our specialness contributing to this planet in some unique and fun way, right? It's about our ability not to just receive, but to also give the blessings that come our way. It, it, is, it is for us to share our innate goodness. That which makes us special is to be shared, is to be enjoyed by other people. And I don't think that we do this from living in a vacuum. I don't think we do this with our own self-interest solely in mind. All right. Ernest Holmes, and here, hopefully I'll press a button or two because I think this one is sort of interesting. He even went so far as to say that groups of people in their own ideas of self-interest go way overboard. And here, here he talked about charitable institutions, and I love this. And I'm sure some of you will come up afterwards and say, you don't really believe that, do you? He said, if every charitable institution of the earth were wiped out and had never been, the world would be much better off. Did you ever see a charitable institution which completed its purpose? 
Now think, yeah, I know. <laughs> I heard that clearing of the throat. But, but think about it for just a moment, right? The Oregon Food Bank's um, highest ideal is to end hunger, right? The, um, I don't know, the Alzheimer's Association of America's ideal is to wipe out Alzheimer's, right? The uh, World Health Organization is to wipe out disease. Do we ever accomplish these goals? And I want to think for a minute if, if in our efforts at highlighting things that are different, like highlighting the homeless, highlighting the people living at the poverty level, highlighting the people with certain classifications of disease, I wonder if our efforts at highlighting them actually work towards perpetuating them. If all we are doing in some of our charitable works is labeling a group of people a certain way as being less than or hopeless or, or needing aid, are we really kind of disenfranchising them further? Now, I'm not at all suggesting that we should not help other people. Quite the reverse. Uh, everything that we can do personally, I think, to help other people is a great and wonderful thing. But I think to institutionalize groups of people with a label and say this is what they are is actually locking them into that position. And I think that's what Ernest Holmes was saying, that that is a kind of a group selfishness, that that group has its own consciousness around needing special things, around being a certain way, and that it actually keeps them there, much in the same way that if I put my entire focus on my own financial stability, well, then what am I simply calling attention to? The fact that maybe I don't have enough right now, which tends to participate and, uh, and, and blow that out of proportion. Okay, so where do we move from here? If we're worried about this idea of selfishness, the logical place to go is the first idea or first definition of selfishness, and that's just to be more giving in the world. But you know what? I know just about everybody in this congregation, and I already know that you're all givers. And so I don't need to think we need to flex that muscle anymore. I think all of us, almost to a person in here, at least the ones that I know, are giving of time, giving of talent, giving of your treasures, so very giving to friends and family and to people in need. I want to focus on something else for just a minute and to close out today. So if through our differentiation, if through our being a self, being a unique person, if that's what tends to make us a little bit selfish, if that's what tends to have us focus on the outsides of ourselves, if that's what tends to have us focus on our situations and our conditions, instead of what underlies it, instead of our true nature, then I have a piece of homework for us this week. I'd like us each this week to answer this simple question. What about you is different and special and unique and it is not part of your condition? This is subtle and this is hard. So, so give this some thought this week. I'll, I'll say it one more time. What about you is different and unique and special and it's not based on how you look, how you show up, what school you went to, you know, what your job is, how you're defined somehow in an external way. And I think that through this process of understanding your own self on the inside, it will bring you closer to that idea of unity, not separateness, that there can be this idea of uniqueness and unity. 
not uniqueness and separateness. So I'm going to close with the prayer out of this uh, out of this book. This is how Ernest Holmes basically ends the book. He says, "Take a brief silence for the recognition in our consciousness that we know who we are." Now, as we know, there is one perfect living example of that one living principle which is in us and is our life, intelligence, and mind, our substance and power. There is that which is within us, which knows and does not deny, is not afraid, but knows that we are dealing with this one infinite mind. This limitless divine principle, this eternal good, and there is that which witches us to know that it speaks of infinite receptive good. It is done unto us as we believe. It goes forth into mind and is embodied and manifest. We know that our word is one with the almighty word. And we know that every living soul embraced in this limitless intelligence, in this perfect love, is one, is unified with all things and all people, one with all life, one with truth and good, and we are at peace. So it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.